Why are you doing this? Isn't the universe big enough for both of us? <laughs> What is wrong with you people? We could work together. Why be enemies? Because we're different. Is that why? Think of the things that we could do. Think how strong we would be. Earth and Mars together. Why can't we all just get along? Welcome to episode 37 of First Strike the Invasion podcast. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And uh, we're we're getting to the end of it, but we're oh still yeah, we're still looking at the Invasion crossover yep. from 1988's DC Comics. You know, all the fallout. This is post everything. So what happens in the comics <laughs> after Invasion? What spins out of Invasion? And uh, in uh, this episode we'll be talking about a Blasters, the mm -hmm. Blasters special, uh, which spun out of It was like an, an interrupted or an abortive spin-off from uh, Invasion. And um, Justice League International number 24, which yeah. we mentioned last time, you know, it should have had an Invasion banner on it. Should have, but because, it didn't. Because it really is the follow-up to Invasion that leads into Justice League Europe. But Justice League Europe is the one that's considered the spin-off. Um, and we'll talk also about uh, a few other Invasion bits that appeared in the comics following Invasion. So, stay tuned for that. So, why the Blasters? <laughs> why do they exist? <laughs> I don't know if you read the text piece in the special. I didn't. It Actually, it has a couple of... Let me reach for it here. Uh, it has a couple of tidbits about oh, really? the creation of Invasion itself. Like, for example, in this, there is a character that is a Dominator. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's like a Dominator that flipped, I guess. <laughs> Went yeah. to the side of the heroes, feeling bad for what his people did. And uh, he's called Gunther in this. They've named him. Originally, Gunther was going to be a scion. Really? Because the scions were going to play a much bigger role in the invasion. I guess they got switched out for the Dominators. Scions are still in it, yeah. but very, very marginally. I, I At guess, some point, it was going to be scions. I guess scions just didn't make the cut, because even in the live-action crossover mm -hmm. from a couple of years ago in the, uh, the WC uh, universe... The Dominators kind of had the psionic and, and mind control aspects of the science. Well, the science, I don't, I'm not sure the science have that power. They don't? Despite that name. I think they're just, they're the people that experimented on Starfire, for example, gave her powers. They're just lizards. I don't think they have psionic powers. Despite oh, I, their, their maybe name. I was thinking about. I'd have to read Omega Men to know all this. Uh, and who reads not. Omega Men? Nobody does that. Uh, and Omega Men do appear in this as well. But the origin of the Blasters, or if, if you will, is that when they were doing Invasion, they wanted to have, uh, obviously, spinoffs. And they mm -hmm. were thinking of two spinoffs. And the two spinoffs would have been Legion, Legion 89. Yeah. And um, Blasters. This idea of uh, the people that got experimented on by the Dominators, that survived the experiments, that got their metagene activated, would band together and become this other group of, uh, as we see here, would have been also star-faring heroes. Because Invasion 
really dealt with the aliens, the rest of outer, you know, outer space. And so the two new series would have taken place there in outer space and explored the DC Universe post-invasion. But uh, no one was able to convince the, <laughs> the higher-ups at DC that this would be a viable concept. So the, the characters have been created by um, uh, Robert Lauren Fleming and um, this artist here that, that does this, James Fry, incorporated into Invasion. We saw these people and uh, in issue one, yeah, got transformed along with Snapper Carr. And in the third issue, we see them escape Starlag. And I mean, they're primed to be something. They are something at this point. And then DC still went, well, um, there's no proof that this would sell, right? Well... <laughs> build it and they will come. I mean, and they refused to build it. Yeah, okay. So in the end, the the project was pitched as a special. We did all this work. We set these guys up. Now they're just going to disappear. Let us do a special. Tell that story. And if people want more, then they'll want more. They didn't, <laughs> apparently. But at least let us tell the story so that it's not ridiculous. Yeah. That we built these guys up and. Never talked about him again, right? Because we need continuity. Well, I mean, if you're reading Invasion, there's a lot of... Yeah. There's so many pages devoted to this. Yeah. And you're going, well... You know, it was, mm. so, uh, so I'm happy that it exists. Now, it is not something that is well-remembered? Well, I can see why. I... I have... Well, notes. I understand why, because I think the title Blaster isn't great. Mm -hmm. It's not great. Uh, and... Um, you know, it's the kind of stuff that, it's like Bloodlines. They created a bunch of, it's it's artificially created. Yeah. Let's give a common origin to a bunch of people and then spin them out into books. That's disposable heroes. That's how it feels. And then those guys eventually end up on yeah. the wrong end of Eclipso's sword or something, <laughs> you know. But, or if they're villains, wind up in Suicide Squad or something. Yeah. That, that is problematic. That said, revisiting it, I loved it. You did you now? <laughs> I loved it. So, uh, uh, of course, L Robert Lauren Fleming, who created the characters as a writer, uh, did not work on this. He was working on something else at the time uh, and uh, also sort of parted ways with DC for uh, uh, at this point. Really? Just for a bit because he did go on to write the Valor okay. uh, book. But um, I think there was like some frustration uh, because of the way the, the this project was treated. So, whatever. So they got Peter David to write it. Who is, you know, a very funny writer? I, I thought so. Well, yeah. He, so they made it into a comedy. It's one of those comedies. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Okay. Well, it's one of those comedies. You know, I enjoy Peter David quite a bit. Uh, not just his like purer superhero stuff like uh, the Hulk or Aquaman, yeah. but uh, you know, he's a big Star Trek writer as well, novel writer. If this had gone to series with Peter David, it would have been a space opera superhero comedy, which isn't that far off from his New Frontier book series for, for Star Trek's okay. pocket books. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll get into it, Bess. Uh, do, do we talk about the cover? The cover by uh, Fry and uh, Robert Campanella, which has well, all the characters. All either, characters. Uh, you know, the one cute bit, I think, is that the character that's going to be called Looking Glass, yeah. the British guy has the UPC symbol right over his body, just where the mirror sort of appears on his yeah. own body. Sort of a sandwich board yeah, <laughs> kind of looking he's character. He's basically a mirror guy. Yeah. He, he looks like he's from uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland. You know, yeah, like he's cards, like one of these those cards. cards yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a mirror. So it's through the looking glass, mixes with... Yeah. yeah. 
And there's Snapper Car on there that we all recognize because nobody, nobody knew him before. And, uh, well, you knew him if you liked the... Sixty Justice League? Yeah. If you like that. Well, you know. Uh, green Lady with pink hair. Uh, guy with gold tooth. I think he played uh, keyboards for the Muppets also. <laughs> uh, lady with uh, just a bunch of heroes we don't know. Yeah. But, you know, it's a nice little montage. It's fine. The Blasters has no real titles. I'm just going to call it Blasters. It was written by Peter David. Pencils by James Fry. Inks by Robert Campanella. Lettering by Tim Harkins. Colors by Carl Gafford. And the editor is Robert Greenberger. Based on characters created by Robert Lauren Fleming and James Fry. So, uh, a month after Invasion... We see that the various survivors of the Dominator's experiments, whose metagenes were activated, aren't coping so well. In Israel, Mosh Levi's mom has to take him out of school and move to another city because he used his dust devil powers in a schoolyard. Neither of them knows that the Spider Guild is maintaining a presence on Earth post-invasion to sell weapons from. In Germany, Frag destroys his place of work when his boss swipes his tranquilizers. In England, Dexter Fairfax has writer's block and no outlet for his looking glass powers. In the US, Carlota Rivera, or Jolt, is so desperate to control her repulsion powers that she's letting a dominator with a guilty conscience nicknamed Gunther help her, but some pervy hicks see her manifest her powers and call the feds. In New Orleans, uh, conman Amos Monroe has no trouble pulling off scams thanks to his convincing power, but it's all so boring now. And perhaps the worst off is our pal Snapper Carr, who kept his eyes open during a teleportation jump and went mad. His doctors have convinced him that his time with the Justice League, etc., is a delusion, and he's content to believe that he was dreaming. He also seems to think, or know, that he's in a comic book. But when he snaps his fingers, his powers send him to the ship he helped the Omega Men steal to escape Starlight Prison, where he's reunited with a sexy green cat girl named Churl Jenkins, whose ship this was. He thinks it's all a dream, so he happily frees her and steals the ship back from the Omega Men. Romance sort of blooms between Peter Quill and Gamora... I mean, well, don't tell me these pages didn't make you think of the Guardians. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and he brings her home. But her planet has been destroyed by the Vogons to make way for a cosmic bypass that leads to the now very popular Earth. They follow the road back to the Blue Planet to meet up with the other metahumans who were prisoners on Starlag to see how they're doing. When they reach Earth, the Spider Guild spots the ship and thinks it's the Omega Men, so they go on the offensive. At about this point, Churl convinces Snapper this isn't a dream, and he contacts the Justice League. Invasion 2 happens off-panel, and the Guild is chased off-world. As for the metahumans, as previously mentioned, they aren't doing very well. Frag was about to commit suicide, even, so they all hop aboard... Cheryl's ship, and when the crew finally gets to Israel, it makes the Spider Guild's clients, the Nth Rebellion, nervous, and they attack, which leads to the metahumans working as a team to route the aliens off Earth and destroy the weapons depot. In the fray, Mosh decides to call the team the Blasters, even though it doesn't exactly meet with unanimous approval, and the group decides to stay together and travel the spaceways looking for adventure. Yeah. And from there... They many, don't get very many appearances. Many adventures. Uh, no. No. Robert Lauren Fleming does use them. It's like his pet project. He uses them in Valor. Okay. Uh, for a few issues. where we, So we see them again. Uh, and by this point, um, even that storyline isn't finished because then Valor's got to go into other directions and connect with Zero Hour and the Legion and all sorts of stuff. So uh, that's abandoned again. And then it'll sort of end in a couple of issues of Our Man. Okay. Basically, the storyline ends with Snapper Car getting his hands cut off. Oh my. And replaced with 
artificial ones. So now he doesn't have the snapping power anymore. So they sort of, and he's returned to Earth, and the other guys are never spoken of again. They're lost oh, that's, somewhere. That, that's a, an awful thing. <laughs> it's awful not a great fate. fate. But, you know, when, when we look at artificially created teams in this era... The other one would be like the New Guardians. Yeah. This is a lot better than the New Guardians. You know what? It's it's a lot better than New Guardians. But even as like single concepts. I mean, yeah. the New Guardians were just these sort of 90s-ish names. Of course, it was yeah. the 80s, but 90s-ish, you know, when we're, like Jolt here. Jolt yeah. has a New Guardians type name. Yeah. Right? But, uh, and then like whatever powers. And a lot of diversity, and, and yet it never gelled. In this case, I think that there's a lot of diversity again. Yeah. I mean, they've got a child. They've got a couple of characters. They come from all over the world. Yeah. But I think the concepts are more interesting, like on a individual by individual basis. You know, I don't think you'd see a Jolt comic. No, but you'd Jolt see a in Jolt, this team. You know, drink, but not a Jolt comic. <laughs> but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot better. I think it's written a lot better, and the characters are. You just want to like them more, uh, except for Snapper Car, which you never want to like them. I don't know. I like him in this. I don't like him okay, at all. Well, I think there's like an ambush bug connection, which makes me like this. Because well, ambush bug is mad. Yeah. And ambush bug thinks he's in a comic yeah. or knows he's in a comic. He's the original Deadpool. I think. I think that's a thing in the DC universe. When you're when you're crazy, when you're mad, you sort of know. It kind of feels like hyper reality. You know. Mm. They, they said that about the Joker. Also, there's. Death of a Family. I know you didn't really enjoy the new Fifty Two, but that was there's this little section where in Death uh, of a Family, where they tried to kill off the not Death in the Family. No, no, death okay, of a family, right? Where they tried to kill, or Joker tried to kill the Batman family. And there's this one issue that's the Red Robin issue, where uh, you have these square boxes of Joker, I guess, monologuing or whatever, mm-hmm. and Robin trying to infiltrate where he is. And it starts, it, after a while, it becomes kind of a dialogue. And then he knows what Red Robin's going to do. And it gets weird. Like he's re- read the captions. Yeah. He's read the, the monologue. Yeah, like, like, okay. like the Joker knows. And uh, we never think that the Joker knows, but maybe the Joker knows. And, and, and it kind of goes weird. So madness in the DC yeah. universe well, kind of like, feels uh, like... That, um, uh, Crisis 2 with Animal yeah. Man. Animal Man realized he was in the, a comic book. When he took like a peyote button, yeah. I mean, he had to be, you know, like artificially induced madness. But we had the psycho pirate, who, yeah. who was like vomiting comic books, and <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so that again, madness. So madness yeah. is and just... ambush bug is like the original, well, sort of. If if you don't count Superman's kind of winking at the audience, kind of yeah. stuff. But ambush bug is a teleporter who went mad and knows he's in a comic. So the the same idea here. So Snapper car kept his eyes open during a teleportation jump. What is this teleportation power? So like Ambush Bug, where are they teleporting through or what's happening? So what's happening is that they're popping out of the panel. They're in the white space because he goes in the white space. Yeah. They're in the white space between panel borders and they're being forced to realize you're in a comic makes them go loopy. So this loopy snapper knows he's in a comic and I love metatextual humor like that. I just I like it. I just like it. And the fact that he he knows what happened in the panel that he wasn't in. Yeah. Uh that uh you know that he can he makes like a Rick Jones joke. He's gonna yeah. start a band with Rick Jones, who is who is the snapper car of the Marvel universe. <laughs> so that I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um so there are a lot of the whole thing is a bit of an ambush bug type hey, maybe, parody book. Maybe Snapper Car is ambush bug and we just don't know it. Well, that'd be amusing. 
that he would, <laughs> he and Erwin Schwab would be the same person all this time. That would be an interesting twist. No, but you know, you, you've got the Volgons in this, yeah. which are the bad guys in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, so obviously, it's that's what I, I I that's the part where I thought it was just trying too hard. Okay. I I mean I get I I got it. It's a comedy book and it's supposed to be funny, but you know. Tigor goes, that's great. I know, and all these things, they kind of made me half smile. And after a while, I was like, all right, all right, I get it. You know, you're in a, this is all self aware. I get it. Can we please? The spaceship crashes into a caption and then blows I know, up. I know. Well, it starts off like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we know where we're, what we're getting into. We get but. always like translated from, translate, you know, translated from the Hebrew, translated yeah. from the uh, German, translated from the British. And after a while, like that there's, one. This, there's this little caption yeah. saying, well, you know, translation's not that hard, or languages aren't that hard. <laughs> it was very funny. It was uh, There's a lot of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, I was, I was like, after a while, I was like, all right. So, you you even have uh, one of the uh, Spider Clan, what, what's, mm-hmm. what's their name? Yeah, the Spider uh, Guild. The Spider Guild that's it, that that has a Star Trek shirt yeah. saying, make it so. <laughs> yeah. So, he's called, like, Picard or something. Yeah. Uh, but all the other names are uh, basically big Marvel creators. You yeah. Know, one's called Lee. One's called Ditko. Yeah. Rest in peace now. Uh, one's called the Friends. Uh, one's called the Falco. And it's all like spelled out yeah. in Alien. But um, they've all got these kinds of of names. So yeah, it yeah. pokes a lot of fun. Uh, you know, and it's and it's great. Just it's just that it, I mean, and even the the parallels. I mean, uh, of course, there's this new one with you know Gamora and. And Star Lord, mm-hmm. but it's also very much you know, Captain Kirk and the Green Lady. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Green Cat Ladies. I think we like as a male Kirk and an Orion Slave Girl. Or yeah, yeah. Churl is the yeah. It's like an anime character in there. Uh, I and then you got the balls of showing Invasion Two. Yeah, and just just like one panel, and it's done, and we yeah. don't see it. And and in the team, it's mo- you know, it's it's all the big guns yeah and then brother powers in there the geek so you know that kind of visual stuff I, that's true that's fun that's the stuff i like so if this had gone to series and had the same humor i would have been into it i think uh at the time i don't think it resonated as much i don't know what i thought and it, because there wasn't another one well maybe. i didn't give it much thought so now revisiting it everybody was going oh no you've got to do blasters now oh crap oh sorry but no no, this is one of my favorite reads of the entire podcast. Well, well, no, I, I, I didn't really. I, you know, I enjoyed parts of it, and I was like, fine, great. It's, it's. But after a while, I thought it was just too self-aware. It was just too much of of that. You know, detours in space and stuff like that. It, it was too much of everything. You know, it was just too much of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It, it feels like it's. It's going to be space, but zany space. You know, it's not completely Doctor Who-ish, but it kind of... It was just too much. It was just, in my opinion, trying too hard to be cool. I'm not saying there's no, you know, problems with it. Because I, I think things are badly set up. Maybe they decided by Invasion 3, they might even have already decided... Well, yeah, probably, because just the timeline of it. They probably decided it wasn't going to go to series... And uh, I don't think things are set up quite as well as the book lets you think. Okay. In Invasion 3, because we do meet all these characters that get turned into meta-humans. Yeah. But this book acts like this Gunter guy, this Dominator. I had to go and check back. Oh, is he the 
was he wait was he the dominator the, was he the metagene the uh, metagene scientist yeah no no he's just like this random dominator this is his first appearance okay so he's not set up as a defector in invasion number three similarly churl the cat girl yeah the blasters stole helped the omega men steal her ship and she's been locked in the basement but we never see her before but we never seen her before yeah. so we don't we don't know that they actually captured the ship yeah. from someone this is her first appearance that's not a very good setup obviously i think that's the big weakness um well there's also the the creation of the team i mean blasters comes from you know this there's this scene where somebody yells blasters and everybody just jumps out of the way and like and somebody else says well that's not a nice team name or something like that. and that's yeah. not because the, these people have blasters and just weak yeah just well the name obviously yeah predates any kind of origin for the team so well i think peter david goes with it because he makes well, the kid choose the name the, the kid chooses it and the kid reads comics he reads like this uh, you know, Superman uh, ripoff, Ben Steele and his bear Hans. Yeah, bear Hans. Yeah, so he's 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 thinking superhero. He wants yeah. to be super. But I, I would have loved well, to have, see. He has a Superman shirt. I yeah, mean, yeah, I would have loved to see that that dynamic played out. The, the fact that he's a child in a team of adults, but his mother tags along. And she has no powers. Yeah, she's just <laughs> so. So she's just the scolding mother, to, you know, but she's also badass. She's a bit oh, of yeah. a... She, she kicks in a door after a while, and <laughs> yeah, she yeah. has a blaster, and, you know, yeah, yeah. she's a mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's a bit of a Sarah Connor. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a mama bear. <laughs> so, I, you know, I would have loved to see that dynamic play out yeah. in, in the book. I think, the, you know, the, the con man, I love grifters. Yeah. Uh, in, in fiction, I would have loved to see that comment do stuff well, that would be interesting. The, the characters in themselves are, are quite interesting. I mean, uh, that guy, what's his name? Uh, the, the, the con man. Monroe. Yeah. His motivation for being a blaster kind of sucks. I mean, he's bored. Uh, I mean, it, it, it feels okay with, I don't know, you watched One Punch Man and you understand that some superheroes are just bored and you just do it out of boredom. But this guy really, he, he's bored, so he has to go on an interstellar adventure. Who goes on an adventure? Life is an adventure. Well, I mean, he's a gun man. I know. They're but, on the know. move. And everybody's motivation is kind of weird. It's all out of boredom or feels out of boredom or they're just hanging on to this thing. We're finally a team. No, you're not. You're just a bunch of people. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's one of the weaknesses of the book. Yeah. Not the motivations, because in a comedy book, I'll buy anything. Buy the premise, buy the bit. Yeah, yeah. I bought the premise a lot more than you did. Yeah. But the the idea that for the longest time in the book, they are not a team. I mean, it's way past the halfway point before any two of them are together. So, structurally, the book cannot do what it, it must. I mean, it should have been, but it takes too long to get there yeah. structurally. So you never get these blasters. And once you get them, it's sort of, oh, well, I guess we're all together. It's just like, uh, it's a bad D&D adventure. Yeah, that's how it feels. <laughs> well, not a bad D&D adventure, but it feels like a first time uh, campaign thing where you have all these singular characters all over the place. And for some odd reason, they're going to be a team. And this is how it feels. It feels like if for some odd reason, this becomes a team. They didn't have like four or five issues to just yeah, set up the team. Just do it. Because, yeah, because they could have set it up. I mean, it could have been just Snapper and the Cat Lady. And, you know, they, they pick up blasters along the way that maybe were, you know, build the team up until they have a team. 
But I guess they couldn't do that. They just we just had like a backstory. It felt like the start of one of your favorite movies and one of our favorite movies, the Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. Because uh, <laughs> it feels like that. It feels like oh, all of a sudden you guys are a team, just like that, just just cause. And that's that's how I. But I gotta say, for people out there, you're gonna find this in bargain bins. But the art is great. And, yeah, and it's, yeah, the art is it, fun. There's a lot of fun. I mean, it's not all bad. I mean, there's a lot of fun. Sure. And also, I think it, it'll play better with today's audiences. Oh, yeah. In the sense that you get, um, if you like the Marvel movies, you've got Snapper is a, like a Deadpool. Yeah. With all the guns. But he's, he, you know, yeah. he's got the Deadpool thing, which is now people understand and like that yeah. meta humor. And, um, you've also got a relationship that's a lot like, like Star-Lord and Gamora. Yeah. And Snapper sort of wants a musical career in this. So he's singing songs. So that's, it's a lot like Guardians. It's, you know, they're just like soundtrack to this. It's very much Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's going to be superheroes in space. and yeah. uh, So it's got a Guardians feel, at least the movie Guardians. So I, I think you might like it more than you remember if you read it back in the day. Yeah. And uh, it's not a bad issue to have uh, and, and probably super cheap to get. You, you know, it's probably before mm-hmm. it's time... Because now, when I think about it, you know, Gardens of the Galaxy and all all these things that people now understand, and even the mega references to everything and the Easter eggs between quotes, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many things in here that I think people would actually dig it now. I kind of read it with that not being part of my psyche. I, I wasn't thinking about all these things now. I was, I was thinking about, you know, 1989. Yeah, like, 1989, uh, it's just, it was just It didn't like, fly. No. Despite... The Justice League being a comedy book, you know, this went too far. I think people probably thought, and I probably thought, I don't know, I don't remember, but I dismissed it. I don't remember the, yeah. the experience at the time, but probably it was dismissed as, well, this can't possibly be part of continuity. There can't possibly be Vogons. There can't possibly be these, uh, these sight gags. Yeah. You know, all of this doesn't, doesn't actually fit the DC universe. So if you want to think of it as a snapper's dream, <laughs> you know, he's Lupi, and this is his perception of the world. You can then it, maybe it works a, a bit better. But I, you know, I really like the tone of it, and uh, yeah, and the art totally supports that as well. Oh, yeah. So the art is great. I really did like the art. So there you go, blasters reevaluated. Agree? Disagree? Tell us in the comments. Tell us in the comments. We'll take a short break, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about other issues that followed the invasion. In particular, Justice League International number 24. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Star Trek, a new episode every month only at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. We're back, we're talking about Invasion Fallout, basically, in different books. Now, before we get into Justice League International number 24, or its second story, which is the one that uh, really deals with the invasion, let's talk about uh, four other titles 
that had heroes that participated in the invasion and uh, then uh, mentioned the invasion after yeah. the fact. Well, there has to be some kind of fallout. I yeah. mean, invasion, it took over the entire DC universe or almost for what, three months? Two, well, I guess it was like two and a half months. Two and a half months? months? I mean, yeah. it can't just go away and not leave something, right? Yep. Uh, so in Captain Adam 26 through 28, Captain Adam is promoted out from under Eiling's thumb. But Blue Beetle, uh, Booster Gold, Mr. Miracle have figured out that his backstory is hogwash and they confront him about it. I think this is why he has so much to prove as leader of the Just League Europe, uh, despite having just led Earth superheroes in the invasion. So it, it just seemed kind of odd to me uh, last yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. We did talk about it, yeah. how Blue Beetle and Booster Gold seemed yeah. to dislike Dislike Cap and... Yeah, or not uh, trust him. And then he was sort of awkward as a leader, even though we'd seen him as the leader of the armies. Well, mm -hmm. Captain Adam 26 through 28 kind of deals with that and the lies, the, the you know, the government conspiracy around Captain Adam. Such a web. Uh, so uh, that's there. In Starman 7, Kitty Faulkner examines Will Payton to see why he wasn't affected by the gene bomb. And he discovers what was suggested a while ago, which is that he's no longer human. So he spends the issue dealing with his feelings about this. So this is a revelation that happened because of the gene bomb. Yeah. Uh, in The Flash, number 23, Wally has lost his powers because <gasps> of the gene bomb. Oh, my. Uh, but his relationship with Chunk uh, is also in tatters. After sort of leaving him in Cuba during the invasion. He kind of ignored him. Yeah, by the end of the issue, he's rescued Chunk from Abracadabra without powers. And he saved the friendship, but his powers will only be restored and heightened by Tina McGee in the next issue. He's got to deal with the gene bomb stuff. In Power of the Atom number 9, John Jones asks Ray Palmer to join the Justice League. And Batman asks Hal Jordan to do the same. Oh. Both heroes were part of the invasion. Ray doesn't accept and leaves. Uh, and we'll see some of the Victory Day celebrations in New York after that, some of which turn into a riot that he helps the police deal with. So it's very much an invasion uh, yeah. follow-up. And give or take, it leads into JLI number 24. Because th th that offer yeah. is explored in that story. Adam so kind was, of, uh, was a great read during the invasion. I really enjoyed Adam. There we are, JLI number 24. Uh, we'll do more of these epilogues in the next episode. There are more. Yeah. Keeping some. <laughs> Jealously. Yeah, we can't put all the sauce on, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the plates right now. Uh, we've got still a few episodes to go. Uh, so Just League Inter International number 24. It's called Across a Crowded Room by writers J.M. DeMatteis and Keith Giffen. Artists uh, Kevin McGuire and Joe Rubenstein. Letterer Bob LaPan. Colorist Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor Kevin Dooley with editor Andrew Helfer. The covers by McGuire and Rubenstein. And even though this is the second story in a double-sized issue... The cover is really about that second story, right? It's another Maguire riff on uh, Justice League number one with all the heroes looking up uh, in a crowd scene. And now we have like the all the members up to that point, including the, the new guys that are going to be part of Justice League Europe. Yeah, uh, although these guys are not smiling. They are quite serious. And some of them even look kind of pissed off. What does that guy Gardner say there? Who let these guys in? <laughs> I know he doesn't have that. No, accent. he doesn't have that accent. But, <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, so it's gonna be a little bit of a sore point to integrate all these new heroes into the Justice League. So maybe good, a good thing they don't all work at the same embassy. Should I synopsize? Synopsize away, my friend. Well, it's gonna be short. 
Oberon reached out to many heroes at the Gene Bomb Hospital to refill the ranks of the Justice League and create a second group that will become known as Justice League Europe. Maxwell Lord isn't too sure about this at first, but by the end, he's very happy uh, he did. The story is mostly banter between the various heroes, at least until the miniaturized Kunz, defeated by Oberon in the previous issue, issues, I mean, it's like two issues ago, and put in Roach Motels, then promptly forgotten, grow to normal size again. They seek revenge, but come upon a very large group of superheroes. They race off, and it's just too crowded in the embassy for the heroes to properly work together before the Kunz reach the teleportation tubes. Unfortunately for them, the tubes were set to transport to Australia, and since the embassy there was destroyed, I guess they just stay molecules now. Or, you know, they just <laughs> spread themselves out. Uh, in the end... Hawkman will quit the League and bring Hawkwoman with him. The Atom, Hal Jordan, Starman, Firestorm, Major Victory, and the Creeper will either not accept the invitation or not make the cut. And, well, the other recruits will join Captain Atom and Rocket Red in Paris. Which leads us to, back to the previous episode of this show, where yeah. we talked about Justice League Europe number one. Which spins out directly out of this. So, let me make a uh, controversial <laughs> pronouncement. I like the blasters humor better. Okay, next. <laughs> you know what? For this issue, I think I agree with you. Okay. Uh, well, although it's uh, there are things that you just you can't not love. I mean, facial expressions. Oh yeah, McGuire. I mean, McGuire just and and the shot of you know Wally with the big grin and the wahaha is just great. I mean, that's a classic. But uh, yeah, this one kind of slightly falls a bit flatter. In my opinion. Well, it's less of a story, more like a prologue to another book. Yeah. Uh, there are some cute bits. I like the demon Cupid that um, uh, Guy Gardner manifests from his ring when <laughs> uh, Blue Beetle is all over Wonder Woman. Yeah. That sort of stuff. And uh, one thing I didn't mention, because it wasn't really plotty, is that Fire is in this and still in bed and powerless. I mean, she's like Wally in his own book, which yeah. this would take place after that, I guess, because he's. Well, I assume he has his powers in this. Uh, yeah, fire is sick, and so we don't see fire flame out like the Human Torch, like a green Human Torch, until yeah. later. Yeah, she's uh, but ice seems to be fine. Oh yeah, she she recovered. So you know, some of the heroes were more affected than others. Some yeah. just got back up. Some needed a boost. Some got their powers changed dramatically, and fire is, I think, the prime example of that. Do we know at this point that Maxwell Lord is a uh, meta? I don't remember. Not no, not yet. We don't know. So yet. he was affected too, right? And, yeah. Um, so the we're about to see him get nosebleeds and push people hypnotically. Yeah. And then eventually that you know that derails his character, I guess. Let us not mention it. We, we won't. We <laughs> I won't. don't want to mention the end product of this, but uh, through in Justice League International and America, as because yeah. it becomes America itself, it's it's an ongoing plot line where we will eventually discover that he is a metahuman. Yeah, I, I didn't think we, we knew at this point. But, well, uh, he did get sick during the gene bomb. Yeah. So, um, that, I mean, that was the first clue, probably. And maybe even had those powers in a way. You know, his charisma and his the way he could manipulate heroes and yeah. businesses and whatever. Yeah, I think he... Part of that might have been already there, but not as conscious. Yeah, I think he kind of had it all beforehand, but... You know, his Sean Connery good looks, young Sean Connery <laughs> young good Sean looks, <laughs> and charm and charisma. But yeah. Just, I don't know, it's more of a, like a young Sam Neill to me, which gives a connection to the omen. <laughs> mm, there's something. There, there's this old school ruggedness charm <laughs> to him. But yeah, it, it does feel like a prologue to Justice League International or, or Europe. Europe. Yeah. And uh, 
directly tied in, but there's not a lot going on. Well, at least we find out what happened to the Kuns. Yeah, exactly. That's a little plot hole I forgot about. I was so proud of Oberon. And Oberon did better than the heroes here. <laughs> well, uh, Oberon did better than the new Guardians, so I couldn't <laughs> handle like two Ocarians. It was kind of nice seeing also how they did ask a lot of superheroes that turned them down. I can't believe Captain, you know, Major Victory was there. Uh, yeah, Didn't Captain Adam just say, mm, Oberon. Yeah. Yeah, but don't invite again, this guy. He's a villain. Yeah, but then again, nobody trusted you know, Captain. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe that's true. So they were like, "Yeah, yeah, you're going to say it, you yeah. liar." Are there uh, heroes that were part of this ensemble that you wish had made the cut for either team? I didn't really think about it, but well, I, I liked everybody who was asked. You know, I I always like to see a Justice League that's immensely overpowered because that's what the Justice League has to be, right? It has to be overpowered. If you're going to take on Darkseid, you have to be overpowered. You know, I would have liked seen everybody in there. Because I think the Atom would have been a, a nice oh, addition for sure. The Atom would have been awesome in there. Blank Slate Firestorm, Creeper, Major Victory obviously would, would have been problematic. But would have been interesting though. Firestorm I would have liked. Because at this point, Firestorm is kind of weirdly awkward. Creeper I don't see as a, as a team player. But, you know, Firestorm, I would have liked... You might have had, a, like, uh, yeah, an interesting... Some interesting jokes to be I, made with him, since that's I think the so. point of having anyone in those casts at that time. So you could have had, like, this three-way conversation, yeah. joke conversation. Yeah, and that would have been kind of But actually, no, because hmm, Firestorm's on his way to becoming the Elemental, so that's probably why he's not actually, you know, his storyline is going yeah. somewhere else. Full so. steam ahead, yeah. Yeah. Uh, similarly, probably Starman was too young a hero. The, his, his storylines were going somewhere that the, he couldn't be part of the Justice League. He could but, have already graduated to that. Yeah. Maybe. But then again, you know, that would have given him maybe some more, you know, how he relates to other heroes, mm -hmm. how he interacts with them. Could have maybe pushed him in the right direction. Yeah. Been the rookie of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, cause that's what happened to, you know, Kyle Reiner. I mean, he became Green Lantern and people were like, eh, horrible mask. I hate the costume. <laughs> hate him. And after a while, people were like, yeah, he's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I like him better than Hal Jordan. Yeah, and, well, you know, so. I mean, I understand the choices made. It's not like, it's not absurd. It's. I'm really so. glad Metamorpho is in there, though. That I like. I always liked him. And he has these great expressions in here. I mean, it's just, I just couldn't stop just looking at him. I'm kind of glad that Hawkman left, because Hawkman's kind of a jerk in this. Well, he's often a jerk in team situations, yeah. and uh, this is, anyways, a, a Hawkman that will cease to exist as soon as Hawkworld is published. So it's problematic to have him here post crisis at all. Well, I mean, it would have been a great PR move, I think, for, you know, in, in the world, in DC Universe. Mm -hmm. It would have been a good PR move to have a Thanagarian being part of the super team that protects. Earth, because, you know, yeah. Tangarian. Which he was. Invaded. He was there yeah. during Invasion. It's just... If uh, you want to hear more about uh, Justice League's involvement in Invasion, uh, be sure to check out the next episode of uh, the JLI podcast with Shag. Really? Well, because I will... Uh, I'm guest starring on there. Ooh, and lucky doing, guy. I'm doing the issue just before the Invasion tie-in. And, uh, you know, um, I gotta say, I gotta apologize. There's a scene in there that relates to Invasion. <laughs> and uh, when we were doing prologues and all that, that should have been part of it. But Wikipedia had not enough information, and oh. I had not yet done enough research. So, uh, so I'm going to talk about it there with uh, Shag. 
and uh, we'll come back to it on this show so that it can be a complete package. Cool. We'll mention it later. A little bit of a crossover uh, ourselves here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're doing an invasion, not an invasion, a JLI. A JLI soon, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, but an actual invasion tie-in? I don't think so. No? Okay, I don't, I don't know. So. I, I didn't read it yet. I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. It may be one you've already read. Is, is I think saying. it is. I yeah, because I told, I, Shag wanted me to do an invasion crossover. And I okay. said, well, I'm not going to do the same issue twice, buddy. <laughs> 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 Sorry, but I will have already talked about that. Yes, I do so, not eat the same thing over and over. No, again. no well, that's, yeah, actually, that's yeah, not really true. But yeah, so uh, so check that out. It should be the next one, uh, episode twenty-one. So uh, of that show, check it out. Uh, we'll take yet another break. A little break. Oh, we need breaks. It's, it's hot in here. Oh, it's hot in here. And uh, when we come back, letters from the front. Letters from the front. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Letters from the front! Letters from the front! Hi, guys. <laughs> We're reading letters. Uh, the ink is melting off the pages. And uh, it's that heat wave. Huh? I mean... Oh, yeah. Oh, New Brunswick. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. Southern New Brunswick. There's something. It's it's humid. I it's, mean, we're getting we're getting some days in the 40s yeah, Celsius. 40s Celsius. Yeah. 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 Turn on your oven at about I don't know 400 Fahrenheit. <laughs> and then open it and stand in front of it. This this was the temperature in yeah. my uh, in my living room for the oh, yeah. for a couple of days this week. And it was so weird because it was windy and the wind was so warm. It yeah. felt like nuclear fallout. Yeah. I mean, it was so warm. Sirocco stuff. Yeah. And um, let's wait six months and it'll be, you know. Yeah, minus 40 with yeah. the wind chill and we'll be. Yeah. We can have temperatures where the gas freezes in your tank. And, Actually, but that's, also, that's a common thing. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, you know, getting uh, your, your face melted off in the summer. So yeah, exactly. Temperate. Temperate. Oh, man. We just like the variations. <laughs> We're all about nuance. So let's see here. This is the about episode thirty six. Okay, yeah. Uh, the the the, the spin offs, Legion eighty nine and JLE. We uh, yeah. reviewed uh, issues number one for each. So Chris Franklin starts us off on the website. He says, "I never got into Legion." Well, okay, next. Uh, <laughs> then he says, "Mostly because it was comic shop only." That's true. I I got them in a bundle from a comic book shop when I moved. Uh, it did seem interesting, but I just couldn't keep up with all these Legion retcons and implants, etc. And the five years later, Legion wasn't the Legion I knew either, so it was all very strange to me and kind of off-putting. I did appreciate that Justice League Europe was a bit more action-oriented, and I dug Bart Sears' art at the time. I like what I see here, but sometimes he goes a bit too far with the over-roided look, and things get downright grotesque. I did think Captain Adam's mullet was cool back then, I will admit. <laughs> I hate to tell Bass, 
but I don't recall Wally and Ralph ever becoming buds in this period. Ralph was constantly busting Wally's chops for not being his uncle, and he honestly deserved it. I think Mike Barron removed Wally too far from the character Wolfman and Perez had developed well in New Teen Titans, and Bill Messner-Lobes took way too long to bring him around. There's a happy medium between this approach and up to snuff in four issues, as Siskoid discussed. So sorry. Yeah. Uh, Brian Linton says, Fittingly, this episode left me in a deep state of ennui. Thank you, Chelsea. Oh, and thank you for the effort for the French there. <laughs> well, as a French philosophy, I guess it's all, it's probably because of, uh, what was the name of the, the policeman in there? Camus. Camus. Uh, Officer Camus. Camus. Uh, David S. Gutierrez says, Years ago, I asked Kevin Dooley about the use of Animal Man and Wonder Woman. Mind you, this was me recounting something from nearly 20 years ago, but I remember Kevin telling me that Wonder Woman and Animal Man weren't fully cleared by their respective editorial offices when the team was announced. I know that doesn't exactly make sense, but you also have to remember Batman's JLA use wasn't exactly square with the Bat offices either. At the time, I think they were really trying to play up the urban vigilante that no one has ever seen nonsense. So those characters came and went, and I guess there's like a misunderstanding. It's kind of weird that they use characters that aren't cleared to be used. It's just a weird thing. I, I don't know. But Why you're thinking would you? somebody told me it was cleared, and it wasn't. Oh, okay. I mean, bureaucracy. Uh, Dave also says, I never got why the military guy had a mullet, Captain Adam, until I remembered he was undercover. Some people grow a beard, some use an eye patch, some dye their hair and affect an accent. Our chromed captain grows a mullet. Still, JLE was my Justice League book. I don't know why, but I freaking loved it. Too many Americans, though, and that's a problem that never really got fixed. Uh, oh, Julie Delpy, I didn't recognize who you guys were referencing because you pronounced her name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's Julie Delpy? Julie Delpy? Julie Delpy. Julie Delpy. Uh, <laughs> Paul Hicks uh, says, loved Legion and its spinoffs. And the direction of the story was as hard to pin down as the morality of Real Dogs. I remember seeing a lot of Blake 7 inspiration in the writing, with Real Dogs being very similar to the ruthless Avon and Garen Beck having some cowardly Vila moments. Or Vila? I, I'm sorry, it, Blake 7 is still not in my collection. They don't want to release in one in uh, the DVD in uh, Region 1. That's been my excuse for years, even though my computer can play any region. Okay. Uh, Tim Price says, Legion was a lot of fun. Some nods to the uh, Legion of Superheroes, but avoided feeling derivative. So many in the cast had less than heroic motivations. Docs and Lobo, obviously, but even Stealth could surprise me. I enjoyed it immensely. Speaking of nods to the LSH... A 30-plus-year-old spoiler, it took me a while to put together that Larissa's daughter was the one cloned from the Great Darkness Saga. Not a crucial detail, but definitely included for us comic book nerds. And JLE, oh my, JLE, it expanded the cast of my beloved JLI, and expertly so. JLE number 9 was the Ralph Wally reconciliation. So, it's not so far off. Yeah. Uh, which brings all the feels. After that, Ralph continues to rag on Wally, but it comes off as more as friends ribbing each other from that point. Typical JLI. Oh, see, that, that, that I'd like. Yeah. That I'd like. Issue nine. Because it's like an uncle. You know, yeah. Ralph is like an uncle. Yeah. He busts your balls, but you know, you're, you're like, ah. Uh, yeah. He's my uncle. Yeah, he's my uncle with the stretchy powers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you go stretching along there, Uncle. <laughs> um, that's probably not his accent That's either. probably not his At HeroCon, Giffen stated at his panel that the other books didn't want JL making fun of their characters. So that was a problem. That's precisely why Wonder Woman only appeared in JLE number one. Perez had her yanked as quick as he could. Giffen was tired of fighting and arguing about it, so he just let it happen. 
When Helfer and others asked, are you going to explain why Diana left? He said, no. And they just left it at that. Oh, wow. Uh, of course, I completely disagree with the attitude that JL made fun. I felt they were having fun with the characters. That makes all the difference. It does, actually. It does, because the characters... You don't have to, to break the character to make it fun. I mean, Wonder Woman, being Wonder Woman, inside that environment would have been fun. And I mean, it doesn't take anything away. And you no. know that that's the tone of that book. And then when you look at her in her own book, her stories are more serious. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can have a DC Universe where a Spider Guild character is dressed as Captain Picard, is what I'm saying. You can have that. Do it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. You know what? I agree. And and I think it actually gives depth to, to a lot of characters. You know, uh, I think that's why we liked Booster Gold and, and uh, Blue Beetle so much, because it gives them that extra depth. And you it's know? something we talked about with Batman. Yeah. That one of the things I like about Batman is that he can work as the 19, the, you know, the 66 camp comedy yeah, character absolutely. and he can work as this like dark ass Christopher Nolan version and it all works it all you know, works I can, I can watch a Brick in the Bold cartoon yeah. and the Batman animated series which absolutely. have two completely different tones and still think that's Batman the Lego Batman movie mm -hmm. just put it out on the table saying this is what it can be all the time yeah. and, and it all works it all works it all works uh, what else does Tim say uh, he says Bass you win the podcast by saying that JLE is Rocket Red getting a spin-off like Frasier. <laughs> I love that so much. Dimitri is one of my favorite JLIers, and I'd never thought of it that way before. Thank you. Well, it's not a competition. <laughs> but uh, I, I will take that. All but right. I, well, you do the editing then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to have so much music in there. You're going to pay. <laughs> Me too. I really like Rocket Red, and I, I like the fact that his suit is now made out of you know apocalypse technology. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's I think it's great. Gustavo Casals uh, says, "I have to tell you, I have a soft spot for Invasion and all of its ecosystem of publications, and among them, especially for Legion and JLE. No secret there. I love Giffen, the Legion, Sears and Kitson's art." which vary widely according to inking, none of them well-served in these first issues, and Power Girl, who I feel was best served by the series since her introduction in All-Star Comics. Um, sure. Frank, let's open the volume. Well, Frank, I like Frank. <laughs> Talking about the, uh, basically the feedback from the previous uh, episodes, or we're looking like two episodes back, says the Spectre is one of those concepts too big to function in shared continuity, which is why Captain Marvel needed Earth S and Jim Corgan needs better excuses for not taking a more active role in superhero calamities, a spectrometer or something. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of parallels between Ghost Rider and Spectre. That's something we explored. Because Howard Mackey straight up ripped off the Spectre for the second incarnation of the property, Danny Ketch, the, the second Ghost Rider, the third Ghost Rider, uh, but the second one with the motorbike. All that spirit of vengeance and penance stare stuff was just a grounded, marvelized version of the DC character. The Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider was more of a demon etrigan on wheels. Head to head, every Ghost Rider series has outlasted every Spectre series by a wide margin, with each of Ghost Rider's first two volumes lasting into the 80s. The number of books, not 
the the year. Not the year. Marvel has the stronger visual and the better writing hook, although I'd argue they never reach the same creative heights as Fleischer and Aparo and Ostrander and Mandrake on the Spectre. Now on to actual issues that we covered in um, episode 36. He says, I never liked JLE fractionally as much as JLA, even though it came out with flashy art just as the parent book was losing Kevin Maguire and swiftly thereafter my interest. I have a soft spot for Captain Adam, but I hated the rest of the team's makeup and dropped the book after the first issue. You know what? Maguire is so good. Yeah. Everybody looks different. I mean, there's no Betty and Veronica, just yeah. know, the hair is different. No John Byrne. There's no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody has their own thing. And, and I mean, it's just, I think he draws you know, real people. I think he and, does. And, you know, some comics artists are more cartoonists. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing and wrong that's with that. That's a style. And then some others are more like illustrators. And illustrators draw real people yeah. and have more variety, perhaps. Because, I mean, these covers, these covers where we have all the, the whole cast there. I mean, all the ladies look different. Yeah, and it's yeah, they've got different lips and different eyes and different, different noses, noses yeah. different different. You know, because normally face. you've got like the same basic stock faces. They're like two, yeah. three faces, and then all the same body type. Yeah, women especially are differentiated by their hair. Hair. Yeah, and here they're all different. They're all different. Yeah, and and he dares to put them together. Oh yeah. So you've got your Wonder Woman. You know, Wonder Woman, Ice, and uh, Power Girl are all in a subgroup. Yeah. So that you can actually tell that they do not have the same features. Yeah. That Ice has these more, uh, you know, almondy kind of almond eyes. Yeah. Uh, that she doesn't wear uh, a lipstick. Uh, and she has a, like a broader nose. Uh, you know, Wonder Woman has a more like a, a more stern face, and, uh, and Power, Power Girl, Girl has like a cuter kind of cuter lips. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind she's, of like a smaller mouth. She looks younger mm-hmm. also for some reason. Yeah. And 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 I mean, Fire actually. Kind of looks like she's from uh, Brazil. And it's true of the men as well. He plays around with eye shape, even the cheekbones. And- even Metamorpho and uh, Martian Manhunter, which both, they both have this upper, upper facial, yeah, big, the big forehead, brow, big yeah. brow. They're both different. They don't look alike. And At all. They got different noses. Yeah, it's so, just so good. Good Man. job, Kevin McGuire. High five. <laughs> He's uh, a young and uh, up and comer. Right? He's an up-and-comer. Uh, let's see, what else does Frank say? Unlike Siskoid and Hicks, I have always liked Bart Sears' style, at least into the 90s. I applaud the equal-time hypersexuality and hard-body fetishizing. That said, I vividly recall reading an interview with Sears in Wizard Magazine number 4. That's very vivid. <laughs> we got the number. Uh, when he stated that he had been following Keith Giffen's layout for years, but had decided to tell Giffen that he was going to quit doing that going forward. His McFarlane-esque over-designing of pages on Eclipso worked for that title, but moving forward, Sears became more and more detached from storytelling fundamentals. By the time he launched Ominous Press, his comics were incomprehensible, and anyone who bought the Blade series he wrote deserved a full refund. Christopher Priest once blogged about how thoroughly Sears botched his first arc on Captain America and the Falcon by ignoring his script. So that's true to say that Keith Giffen, the way Keith Giffen writes, you know, he's got a scripter, someone who's going to do the dialogue. But he's basically plotting it by drawing the panels, uh, sketching the panels. And then the artist would go on top of that and follow his lead. So that's always how he's worked. Hmm. As far as I know, I may, maybe maybe made some changes later for different projects, but this is how he wrote back then. So I guess Bart Sears went, well, I want to be an image artist. <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, Captain Adam grew his hair out because he quit the military and was retroactively embracing the summer of love during its late 80s pseudo-revival. 
and started hanging out with an older hippie chick besides. Perez was covetous of Princess Diana and kept her isolated, Rapunzel-like, in a tower for nearly six years. I'm sure her inclusion in JLE was under protest and perhaps in the vain hope for a sales bump on the solo. Uh, my understanding is that Andy Helfer was crying on Denny O'Neill's shoulder one day at DC Editorial over his inability to secure commercial characters for the JL relaunch. Then he took pity on him, loaning out Batman on a provisional basis. So that's the story of that. Uh, Legion was a swell concept with some exemplary issues, but an awful lot of ho-hum throughout the Grant Kitson run. For me, the truly great material was written by Tom Pyre, uh, preferably drawn by Derek O'Quinn and Donovan, late in the run and on through the first Rebels volume. I don't disagree. Uh, he says also, I'm glad I'm not the only one who sees the two days movies as sidequels to the before trilogy. And uh, Delpy did contribute to the writing of her similar characters in four out of the five films. I like to think they take place between Sunrise and Sunset, but then there's the offspring, so maybe that fling with Chris Rock contributed to the Discord in Midnight? And now I'm trying to work tape in there somewhere as well. Hashtag Linklaterverse, hashtag Sony Delpy. And don't forget, Frank, you gotta include that scene between her and Ethan Hawke in Waking Life. So there's like a dream of them in there. So if you're missing that one, put it in your link later verse. That's what we got as far as uh, full-blown comments. Oh, wow. Facebook likes and shares from Abadaba, Adam Ackerman, Alan Middleton, Billy Lacasse, Brian Linton, Brian Rosen, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, D. Bash, Derek William Crabb, Gene Hendricks, Jason Pope, Jonathan Brown, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, who says Jaylee number one was the first post-crisis DC book he ever bought. Keith G. Baker, Lucien Desart, Max Romero, Max Traver, Paul Keane, Rich Masumoto, Robert Ward, who said, just last night I was thinking how it's been way too long since we had a new episode. It's every month, Robert. Every, every so month, it's about, on the dot. There's like a month between each. Ryan Daly, Shag Matthews, Stephen Lum, Terry O'Malley, and on Google+, Plus, we got likes from uh, The Hammer Strikes, and on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Adam DeChanel, Ange, Bat, Cashflag, Chris, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, David S. Gutierrez, DC in the 80s, Dylan A. Lange, Earth 2 Chris, Hicks, Jeffrey Brown, JLI Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, Justice Trick, The Podcast, Kiji Baker, Connell, Lost in Time, Max Romero of It's Plastic Man and The Dream Factory, Michael Bailey says, still one of his favorite podcasts, the only reason I'm not upset that it's ending is that I'm pretty sure something awesome is following it. You gotta check out the Fire and Water Sampler to I find know. out. Came out uh, just a bit earlier, so yeah, uh, check it out. last week, so check it out. Milton Compton, Nuno Duarte, Reggie Reggie, Rob Kelly Creative, Rod Pruitt, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly of Cheerscast, Scott X, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Sean Scott, The 108th Sage, Tim Price, The Notcaster, Trucker Talk, Two True Freaks, Waiting for Doom, Warlocks, Thanos Podcast, and Willie Yarbrough. Oof, that's a mouthful. I don't know how you do it. Uh, so quick. So quick. Reflex. It's yeah. not a reflex memory. Clever editing. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, some. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so if you want to leave comments, shares, and, and retweets, and whatever, we're up for it. Yeah, just head on to uh, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, everything is there. There's the, this whole discussion. You can more, more yeah. because I I couldn't so, do it this time. So uh, and every sometimes time. there's a lot of good stuff going on in the in the comment section. So check it out. And uh, or else, of course, uh, we're happy to have you at the Fire and Water Podcast Facebook page or on Twitter. The hashtag is FW Podcasts. Yeah, subscribe. I don't know. Do we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. iTunes. Yeah. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, Young Justice and Wonder Woman number 27.
Oh, Frederick Grunt Buckley, thy micturations are to me as blurred gravel blotches in a learning bee. Group, I implore thee, my hooting, turning drones, and hoopsiously drag me with crinkly pinky wordles, for otherwise I will rent thee the gobble boards with my blurred crunch, see if I don't.